Hey everyone, just wanted to pop in here really quickly and want to announce that this is the season four season finale. Um, it's been an incredibly long season. This is actually the second extra episode that I'm gifting to you. Um, so I had originally planned for this to be a two-parter episode, but um, the original person that was supposed to be in part one just never showed up or had to reschedule a number of times. And then instead of just sticking with the concept of having a licensed hip licensed hypnotherapist uh, come on to the show, um, I feel like Brian did raise a lot of great points. I will potentially be recording another episode with a licensed hypnotherapist um, as originally planned but for the time being just because I had actually originally recorded this back in April I just felt like this is not a um, I'm doing an injustice for our guest Brian Knight um, who has been so patiently waiting all these months and all summer um, for me to release this episode so I'm just gonna go ahead and release this one and hopefully we'll get another hypnotherapist um, who's actually licensed and registered on for a season five so if you hear any references in terms of like part one of the episode or for the registered hypnotherapist um just disregard that because obviously plans have changed and yeah i'll have to find someone new enjoy Welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. My name is Steph Sia. Oh, I never even say that. My name is, yeah, Steph Sia, I guess that's my name. <laughs> my stage name is Kimchi on stage at this time of recording. I should be on, I should be on stage, I think, when this episode comes out. So come see me at the penthouse in Vancouver, Canada, if you are around. So I am a stripper. I'm also a digital content creator. I was also a former sugar baby a long, long, long time ago. And I am also the host the producer of the show as well. So I bring on different sex workers or allies or people in the community or people that are involved in the sex community at some capacity onto the show to share their experiences about sex work. So we're not getting, um, I don't know, <laughs> in terms of like a, a different perspective and um, that society usually provides us with. Um, we want to get real stories. We want to get transparency and we want to hear from the people themselves. So that's why I do the show, to give people a voice and to help to stigmatize sex work. So that's just a little about me. That's a little, a little bit about the show. Um one way you can help support the show is by supporting me on Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash strip by Sia. And I just want to give a quick shout out to some of our recent subscribers here on the top tier. So they get some fan shout outs here. So shout out to Justin Erickson, Arup Sarkar, a uh, new subscriber, Karen Zen, and Jay Sunsern. Thank you so, so much. There are other tiers starting at only $4 a month, and that helps support the show because all the stuff is available for free except for the video content which is on patreon so go check it out if you feel interested but if not no worries we are going to get into the super packed episode today which i'm really excited for this is an episode i've been planning to do for a little while but it's been really really difficult in terms of finding the right people for it and also it's just such a large topic so 
I am kind of dividing this in two. So at this point, this is part two of the hypnosis episode. So different ways you can use hypnosis in your sex work. And today I will be introducing my guest, Brian Knight, all the way from New York City, who will be chatting with us today in terms of how he was introduced to hypnosis, how he uses it within his work, and also maybe clearing up the air on some kind of myths and maybe a a lot of buzz that is going around with hypnosis. So there is a lot of ground to cover here, and I'm so excited to just get into it all. So enough of me talking. Brian, are you there? I am here and present, CF. Woohoo! You made it. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Brian here is a fellow uh, content creator. He's also a sex worker uh, based in, the, in New York City. He's been doing a lot of traveling around, and I'm so glad to finally getting some time to sit down with you today to record this episode, which I believe you are just as passionate about. So I am really excited to kind of get into all of it today with you. But before we dive into the meat and bones of the episode, can you tell the audience who you are um, on your own words and like in your own terms? Well, first, thank you, Sia, for inviting me on your show. I appreciate and respect that you want to bring stories of sex workers to a wider audience to destigmatize sex work and make the workings of our honestly complicated world more transparent and more understandable. Yes. I, um, I, um, I'm being more recognized for hypnosis now, uh, in part originally as a gimmick, but then uh, as more requests started coming in, um, suddenly... I became known for hypnosis in a very real concrete way. That's amazing. So my name is Brian Knight. I have been a full service provider for a long time. I am famous for a couple of things. Um, In my service work, I'm a giant. So the giant boyfriend, brother, fantasy, um, encapsulate that archetype and everything that comes with it because I wasn't raised with an eight pack or a 10 inch dick. I learned how to be a great lover (laughs) in other ways (laughs) and how to have adventures and all the fun stuff around intimacy. Yes. So I'm doing all right at it. We're all facing a lot of struggles right now with uh, changing changing events and stresses from the pandemic, from economic forces against us. I've, I've, uh, it's changed a lot even since the time I've been doing it. And uh, of all the other work I could be doing, it offers me a tremendous amount of freedom, even with all the very real and not to be taken lightly risks. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I got into hypnosis originally in... Uh, early college because I was dealing with anxiety and I wanted a non-medical technique. I mean, a a non-chemical technique for calming myself down, self-soothing 
and being able to focus in stressful situations. Okay. So I began to read books and read web articles about how hypnosis works so that I could do it for myself. I did have a personal sexual fetish attached to it, like many do. However, as I learned more about it, I really respected and understood how hypnosis could be used as a tool to get the goals that I wanted, which is to change my mind and readjust negative thought patterns that I had internalized and make my life more satisfying and fulfilling. Now, it still can be used as a fetish, but we'll get into that. And using it as a tool, um, it, it can be a very effective tool. Not with everybody, which I'll go into, <laughs> but it can. Be. Uh, what else? Um, I just want to do a quick plug. Uh, I produce a comic book series about men's sex workers called Velvet Collar. Uh, I will be happy to share, send you a complimentary cop, uh, set. We have three issues out. The third one just came Congrats. out. Uh, I don't. I don't have a lot of women readers giving me feedback on this, and I would like to. I would like more feedback so that I can write more issues better in the future. So. I, I hope you will enjoy it. Oh, that's so freaking cool. That's why, because when I peeped your website, I was like, wow, this is like a comic book. Like, this is so cool. Like, your website is awesome, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. It, <laughs> it needs to be updated. Um, I had a couple of injuries over the last couple of years, and I just, uh, just kind of let that slide. Like, you know, like, you need self-care and, like, just kind of let things go that you really need to take care of. Like in this business, you have to be updated. You have to take care of these little day-to-day -day things in order for clients to keep coming back. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Well, that Brian, that's like the same thing as me and my OnlyFans. I'm just like, yes. Like as, it just goes in waves. I'm like, sorry, God, it's going to be updated in a couple of days. I'm sorry. It happens. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, everyone else has an OnlyFans just for fans. And I have just been, building up content as I've been feeling well so that when I finally open it up, everyone can reliably expect one new uh, item at least once a week yes. without fail. <laughs> it's it, all work in progress. I mean, I'm, je I'm jealous of these people who are making so much money and like, I wish I had the mind and the focus to do that, but that's just not my path right now. I hear you. I, I definitely hear you. But speaking of focus, um, I know there are so many different uses for hypnosis, whether it is you're wanting to focus on something, whether you are trying to rid of different um, mental illnesses, I would say. Um, some people use it to calm themselves down um, as a way to fall asleep at night. In terms of sex work, when I reached out to people on Twitter, I had a whole different, like, just a lot of different responses coming in in terms of how people have used it before, how clients have seen it being used. And the entire inspiration for this episode actually was from a client of mine. Shout out to Luke, um, who mentioned... Hey, Luke. Hey, Luke. Because <laughs> he mentioned he was speaking... Um, he, was, he was mentioning something about um, hypnoporn. And I was like, what's hypnoporn? Like, I've never heard of that before. And... It was these video clips um, that had the hypnosis swirl, that had um, a lot of, I don't know how to describe it, not, well, maybe it's repetitive phrases and stuff within the 
within the video clip and then sometimes they would flash certain images um of i guess in his case maybe like gay content so that was really interesting to me and i wanted to find out more about it which is why i was like what is this like i didn't this is a whole world that i didn't know about and i'm in this industry so that was really something that was like okay light bulb moment i need to do more research on this clearly which is why i started seeking out people and just trying to figure out what this is if this was like a popular thing if this has been around for a while so what i gathered from that well many people that responded to me in terms of like oh how do you use hypnosis in in your sex work so i had gathered that you know some people use it as a part of uh foreplay within their own sessions um with their clients or in even just like regular relationships as a form of seduction a lot of people were using it within the realm of domination for different aspects of domination like findom some people use it as their thing in terms of like content creation, making these clips, making these videos, making these audio samples. So I, where do you want to start with this? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's such a big window that I, I just really didn't know what I was getting myself into when I started this topic. So, okay. So the first question that people ask me who are interested in hypnosis is, can you explain what the process is? And I have, through reading, come up with a really good metaphor that puts hypnosis into perspective. So when you're born, your mind is a club that has just opened up. And as you gain more thoughts and experiences, those are people who come to your club and hang out. After a while, your club gets so big that a, a security guard gets hired, which is the part of your brain that regulates ideas. And it starts to filter out um, who's good people and who's not. Problem is, the security guard isn't that smart. <laughs> it, so after a while, after you, after the club gets going, and suddenly you'll have more people wanting to come in, and some of them are good, but the security guard's going to think that they're bad or threatening, and they'll let in um, other people that they know into the club who are actually making things worse your fears, anxiety, trauma, it, the guard would let them in because they're familiar. Now, what hypnosis is, is me and the subject go to that club directly and we retrain, we retrain the security guard to identify um, who's good to come in and who's not. And we go into the club, we identify the troublemakers and we try to kick them out. Okay. Okay. It's that simple. Yeah, simple. It's a great metaphor, by the way. It's um, so the one myth I wanted to spell immediately is that most of the time, for most people under most circumstances, hypnosis will require your consensual and conscious participation. Most people do not lose consciousness. Most people do not get their brains suddenly reprogrammed or, pers or sudden personality changes. Because even if um, I were skilled enough to cause that to happen, it would only be short term because you have prior patterns of behavior and supporting life circumstances that reinforce your personality and decisions. Okay. So even if you were to forget everything and you just interacted with the people and places you knew, 
there would be forces already set in motion that would be trying to hold your identity together. Interesting. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that too because a lot of people, when they think hypnosis, they think I'm going to the subconscious, I'm not going to be consenting. And there's a lot of ethical questions and morality questions that come around this. Um, I want you to continue on with your points, but this is something that we'll definitely revisit later in the episode for sure. So, Okay. So, again, most people under most circumstances will be conscious of most of the process. Um, the main risk that comes with hypnosis is that there may be unexpected events and thoughts and feelings that emerge during the process, which neither the administrator nor the recipient may be aware of. Again, the bulk of people won't have this happen. It's just a small amount and even smaller still. Uh, we like to scandalize and fantasize about the worst case scenario because that's the flaw of human beings. That's and, true. And we do this because we think we're being, we're avoiding a risk, but we're not. We're just, it's better that people be educated about what's actually happening. Right, right. I think like, and that's really interesting too, what you were mentioning just now, because I feel like because there's so many, I don't know, shows or podcasts about like mind control and like cults and all that stuff where they've used hypnosis in a way that people have maybe gotten, I don't know, unconscious in a way. Like what so do you think occults, about that? Cults are fascinating. So fascinating. Occults, Cults are fascinating because you can consciously adjust the behavior of individuals and groups and they can be self-reinforcing and they can be quite um, powerful. Is this hypnosis though? Is this it, how it's, it's um, honestly, it's not that different. Um, when I talk about hypnosis, Generally, it's one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. and it's to help someone change their mind. When we're talking about cults, it's it's using it's using almost the same techniques. There is a lot of overlap, so it's not hypnosis in the way that snap my fingers and suddenly you have a total personality change. Studying cults has actually made my hypnosis better. Now, does that make me more dangerous? I don't know. Does having more knowledge about how something works effectively make you more dangerous? Who knows? Mm -hmm. the, so uh, on a point of cults, for example. Um, so one of the things that makes cults really work is that they're all self-reinforcing. There's all these things that go into it. You get... Um, uh, people are nice to you, you, get support, you get things you need. So cults, like one of the things that cults give us is a, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. It is, uh, it, it's, and a sense of organizing our identity because our world is really chaotic. Yeah. Our world is very complicated and things don't work the way we feel we should. We're under a lot of stress. All of us, we're all desiring 
a simpler, more understandable experience in life. Every single one of us. Totally. Some people want that more than others. Some people want that so much that they're willing to believe things in order to get that. Mm-hmm. So uh, in sex work, for example, um, ironically, uh, I sometimes have had clients who have come to me on the outside asking for guidance in other aspects of life or matters of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm very direct, very straightforward, very honest, like this is what you should do. Come find out that they hook up with a sex worker who's not ethical, who takes advantage of them, but they go along with it because there are all these very powerful emotional forces going on. So they say they need one thing, but emotionally they need another. So the the, the take home is that humans are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, Definitely. So even with my skill in hypnosis, one of the things that has limited my effectiveness, ironically, is being concerned for the needs of the other person. If I were not concerned for a person's needs, it would be very easy to, at least in the short term, create events, words, ideas to get them to do what I want. But most of the time, it's short term because... You can manipulate someone, you can get them to believe things, but you have to be you have to be providing some them something that they need. Emotional support, substances, um, experiences. And that's really hard to do, especially for more than one person. So um, I tell people that it's like if if a, if a, if a person you're talking to shows a concern for your well-being and asks you lots of questions they're not like what's your deepest weakness kind of questions like like are you concerned about anything are there is there anything you need to bring up is there anything that might interfere with you getting what you want like what do you want out of this Mm -hmm. that's the question i start with the people who come to me for hypnosis like what do you want to experience yeah um, so it usually it's uh, two kinds. One, it's for inter- one, it's for entertainment, fantasy, um, intimacy, gratification, and the other is for more practical reasons. Now, um, for more practical reasons, I get requests for uh, self-esteem, body image positivity, uh, addiction management, uh, like cigarettes, alcohol, overeating. Uh, Let's see, what else do I get in terms of that? Uh, anxiety, yeah. anxiety coping. Huge one. Um, let's see. And then on the entertainment side, um, some people want like uh, a more visceral one is that some bottoms, men who receive anal sex or like are more in the receptive position, they have a lot of anxiety or they have, they're very physically tight inside and they can't take dick. Right. So they ask for hypnosis to help their holes open. Interesting. And to, in, in order to be more receptive to their partners or to take bigger dicks or whatever is attached to what they think being a better bottom is. Right. Uh, tops as well. Some tops get super psyched out and get performance anxiety. So they ask 
um, with the over, there's some overlap here. Yeah, for so sure. Reduce their, reduce their anxiety while topping. Um, and some like to have the fantasy of being mind controlled and told what to do. And, uh, or um, more recently, uh, you've heard of pup play and pony play, right? No, please tell me. Okay, so pup play, especially in the gay man-centered sexual part of the continuum, is where people enter the mental state of being a dog. Um, they wear masks and hoods oh, and yes. paws, and they, yes. and they start acting that way because they get a lot of gratification from shifting their headspace. So hypnosis is good attached to that, which is a popular and up and coming and up and coming fetish. So now there's some overlap, which I was surprised and I got requests and we had some, we had some talks, um, uh, sexual trauma. Uh, one comes to mind right now. He was afraid to bottom because some rando online made a comment that made him feel ashamed of his body and always terrified that it was going to be dirty and that he was always going to be inferior when someone wanted to come over and fuck him. And he was like deep down terrified of it. Right. And when it, when I was presented with a problem, I was honestly not sure I could help him. I was honestly not sure um, what I could do because at least in my practice, um, I don't pretend to do, I don't pretend to know how to fix all your problems. Okay. Yeah. I, don't. I was going to ask if there's like um, scenarios yeah. where you're like, I don't know how to help this person. I, I don't know how to help this person. Yeah. Um, like, uh, let's see some of the more complicated ones again, like, uh, sexual anxiety, performance, anxiety, sexual assault, um, recovery, rape recovery. Um, I've gotten people like one of, uh, well, this is a show where we talk about things honestly. So I get a lot of people who come to me who had sex as minors with adults and they have a lot of complicated feelings about it, which do not often conform with what they're expected to say about it or what the mainstream narrative is about it. So in addition to a very difficult, complicated existence that they have to deal with, they have a lot of stuff that is unresolved. Um, so I've had hypnosis where people will regress and will use the tools in order to resolve all this complicated shit. And oh my God, there have been times where like, I've had to step back and say, okay, we've gotten this far and I, I don't know what to do more at this point. Right. And, and sometimes miraculously just making space for them to talk and just using the hypnosis tools to help them just giving them the tools and being an, op an open, safe space without judgment just helps them rearrange things. Mm -hmm. And there've been improvements. Does it happen 100% of the time? No, but mm -hmm. me personally, I do not want to make things worse for people. Right. So fortunately I haven't done that yet and I hope not to. <laughs> um, 
but uh, I wanted to, so I am just full disclosure, I am not a clinical hypnotherapist. I haven't had any formal training. I am entirely self-taught and through experimentation and with consent from my clients and other participants that this is what we're doing and this is what we're going to try. And I have enough knowledge to be competent at it and moderately successful at what I say I will do. Right. So like, how does your experience di- like differ from like a licensed or clinical hypnotherapist? Okay. So clinical hypnotherapists are um, restricted in terms of what topics they can or cannot touch. And they are restricted in terms of uh, methods that they can or cannot use. So for instance, if I use hypno, if a, a, a clinical hypnotherapist would be prohibited from using hypnosis and then fucking the client. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Except, except for a very few number of like sex intimacy therapists. Like there's so few of them though. You could count them on two hands. Oh, wow. I didn't even know. So, um, so because I'm not bound, I'm not bound by those rules so I can experiment a bit more. And and in the context of what I'm doing, there is there's an under, there's an understanding that it's it's a it, it is what it is. So in again self-taught, I noticed how stories are constructed. I read about how ideas are interpreted, how people come to believe things. Because hypnosis is about changing your beliefs, your beliefs about yourself and your beliefs about how things work and how they are structured and what to expect. So I was fortunate that at 15 years old, I went to the Landmark Association seminars, which taught you how to objectively assess the things in your life that were causing you stress and to resolve outstanding conflicts using a methodical approach. It was very eye-opening for me because I understood how different people could interpret the same event and the same circumstances with very different meanings and outcomes. The great thing about that was that um, it showed me that people can change their minds and feelings about an event even though it doesn't change. Now, that was important because for me, dealing with trauma so i have trauma and it's bad that it happened and the big take home was i could instead of repeating the story in my mind i could make that a chapter and move forward it freed me from feeling stuck so a lot of people who come to hypnosis think that they are somehow stuck in a way of thinking and being and that hypnosis is going to um, is going to fix it. My, my approach to hypnosis is, all right, how do we change the story? So, and it, it, um, my first hardcore lesson for how difficult that was came early on. I was hired by a client over four days to administer eight hypno sessions, uh, for a personality change. And we seem to be, I mean, it was really intense. Like, like 
you have to, when you're doing hypnosis, you have to get into a different headspace and doing it over four days was really trippy. Wow. It's really trippy. Not, not for beginners. Okay. So we seem to finally be coming to the moment where the event that he wants is going to happen. Right. And he's got self-esteem issues and he wants to become this bold, brave person. Mm -hmm. So a technique that hypnotists will use is taking a moment where you felt an emotion uh, authentically and to bring it from the past into the present because you have a real reality-enforced experience that you can bring to your present life, grow and improve your well-being in the present and from here forward. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it was being proud of yourself. Sounds easy, right? Right. I wanted him to go back to a time where he was proud of himself. And that happened to be in the Boy Scouts and he was becoming an Eagle Scout. Sounds simple, right? <laughs> so we're yep. coming to the moment and everything crashes and falls apart. Can you guess why? Why? So, so at the same time he was becoming an Eagle Scout, the most proud moment of his life, he was also dealing with an emotionally abusive stepmother. So bringing himself back to that moment where he fed those feelings also hooked into all that trauma, which he didn't tell me about. And as soon as we started hooking into the thing that's supposed to helping, it dragged along this very complicated, messy cow trap and yeah. derailed us. We still paid, but I was so... I was so frustrated because we were literally moments from achieving what he asked and just yeah. derailed. And it was very humbling because um, the fantasy is that you become very powerful over people and and yeah. that's really rare. Wow. Um, I, did learn, I, did, I did learn other techniques afterwards that helped. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so the, there are three kinds of hypnosis where there's traditional and there's indirect hypnosis and there is uh, self-hypnosis. Okay. So like I said earlier, I learned self-hypnosis to help myself and I sometimes will make recordings for others right. to help them reinforce messages like self-esteem, sleep, and so on. Okay. And there's traditional methods where like eye cues, movement, visualization, breathing, there's a whole bunch of things. Basically, you want to get someone into trance, very similar to meditation, but it's more of a dreamlike state where you get them to suspend their disbelief long enough to experience feeling the way that they want to. And once they have that feeling like, I'm thin, or I'm happy with myself, or I'm a great top, they can connect to that feeling more often, and their attitude changes, and then their actions begin to change as a result of their attitude change. Very effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until, until you start coming into the complications of identity. Okay. So if you feel bad about yourself, and you felt bad about yourself for a long time, and you want to feel different, it's really hard to not feel bad about yourself because yeah. you have made that part of your identity your brain and when you want to change something fundamental about you your identity 
your body and brain resist that because changing that to like to the brain is like you were literally like tearing off a part of your body or like getting yeah. and it's threatening right it's un, like we say we want to change our minds but like even getting even adjusting the negative stuff is still like basically instinctively threatening yeah it's hard to break that <laughs> habit so, right so how do you work around that and that's fascinating we have we have role models we have stories we have role playing we have all these things that are supposed to break us but how do you get that long term change and that's super difficult mm-hmm. that's su- that's super super difficult um so um knowing all this <laughs> um knowing all this like i I came to some great understandings that have improved hypnosis. So if you want, I mean, and it's just good skills for everyday life. So as a hypnotist, I want, um, one, not only do I need to make the subject believe in what I'm saying and believe in themselves, I must believe in myself as I speak. So if I tell them to sleep, jump, move, I need to believe that they are going to do it. Now, just making myself believe, at least for that moment, that they're going to do it, it changes my vocal patterns. It changes my breathing. It changes everything. And mm-hmm. that that the subject hears. And believing in myself changes my voice, which changes their response. It's actually increased the effectiveness of hypnosis. So if I believe that they are going to sleep, they will go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I have used this sometimes on clients. Like uh, the, I mentioned earlier, indirect hypnosis. So I have a client coming right. in. I want a tip. I want a tip. So yes. like, <laughs> let's say, like, let's say um, I, I want 350 bucks altogether. I might say like before the end of the session, Oh, I used to feel so great at 350 pounds, which is true. Okay. But by, but by, but, and this, and it's technically manipulation. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not ignorant of that, but I say that. So they have 350 in their mind and it's a true statement, but they're thinking it. And then later when they're dishing out the cash, there's a higher chance that they're going to dish out 350 because they've been primed. Yeah, it's like you're planting so, a seed. <laughs> yes. Um, another, um, now a more ethical or neutral way to do it, to get someone into a hypnotic state, is that you talk with them, and then you make an indirect suggestion. Oh, it's a little chilly in here, or the lights are a little bright. Mm-hmm. And um, based on their response it tells me if they're able to accept more ideas. Mm. So a lot of people will not take ideas directly. Okay. They will, they, we do not like being told what to do. Right. We just, we don't. Yep. Um, but if we hear what sounds like a good idea, we'll think, Oh, that's a good idea. And we will think it's our idea mm. and we'll take it on. Oh, so I like see. Saying, that. You're is it a little bit yeah, so um, you can prime someone ethically and you can prime someone 
um, to, you can prime someone to um, do good and you can prime someone to be healthier. Right. For sure. Um, my question is where, because the line between manipulation and being ethical in hypnosis is so fine, like where do you draw the line? And I guess that would possibly just depend on each person or? Well, I mean, we, we always want absolutes. And I would speak, I mean, I mean, full disclosure, when I want something, I mean, if I really need something, I say it. If I want something more, I suggest it. But um, usually when people come to me, I mean, um, it is better business to be ethical and upfront and not cheat or manipulate because mm -hmm. um, long term, and the mafia knew this when they opened up Vegas, long term, if you play by the rules and you make things up front, it generally makes everybody happier and wealthier. Mm -hmm. There's no God. There's no great philosophy. Doing the right thing is better business. Agreed. It's um, some might think it is a little harsh. Some might think it's a little, it's utilitarian. And I think that it's a very practical, direct, material way to be good. Totally. No, I get <laughs> doing, doing the right thing pays better. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's how you build relationships. I had, that's how you build regulars is, you know, by... Being a good person. <laughs> That's always been my philosophy, too, in my own hustle as well. Um, I quickly also want um, – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I wanted to go quick – just quickly touch back on the topic of manipulation. Yes. and Because one of the negative stereotypes about sex workers is that we are manipulative because we know the ins and outs of intimacy and desire – that we know how to push people's buttons to get them to do what we want. Right. And that's not entirely wrong. We literally make a business over catering to needs and a lot of our stuff is formulaic. Yeah. It's offensive to people that desire, love, intimacy is rote. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, that's true. Thank you for bringing that up. And, and um. And some people ask, well, how can I tell when you're manipulating me? And how can I tell when you're like being just genuine. being real with me? Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, it's kind of a weird question because I'm still me, whether I want something or not. Um, and it's one of those things we don't want to tackle head on because we don't want to like pop the illusion. We don't want to create yeah. fear in clients. We don't want to make them second guess themselves because we want the fucking cash. Everyone has few problems as yeah. possible. So right. um, I'm just saying this for people listening because I'm sure we've, we've thought of this. Oh, the, and I oh think, yeah. We've... I, think my best, <laughs> I think my best defense against accusations of manipulation is literally showing them, if I wanted to hold the knife against your throat, this is how I would do it. And I can show <laughs> you which books to read for how I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, for anyone who does have them them because, feedback, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I mean, but again, I mean, we laugh. Hmm? Going into just, I mean, just generally speaking here, 
and not just catering to hypnosis, but like sex work in general, or just if I'm even going broader, sales in general, because sex work is a lot of sales. A lot of it. It is are, a lot of sales. A lot of it is just like sales tactics, and. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Well, you're you're absolutely <laughs> right. Like, um, there's a book called Predictable Irrationality. Anybody can pick it up in any bookstore, and it will show you how easy it is to get people to do stuff. There, there's tons of books, all these, all these marketing tricks, all yes. these advertising tricks, all out there. It's all out there. Yeah. And it's public, so, mostly free knowledge, <laughs> you know? So I yeah. mean, like with that being said, like how much of this, cause some people will probably give me feedback after this. Like, well, it's hypnosis. A placebo effect? Is it real? Some people question that as well. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm glad you mentioned placebo effect because I personally think of it as a controlled placebo effect. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Self-hypnosis, hypnosis actually does cause physical changes, both immediate and long-term. Your body does start to change. And some people, bless them, can do incredible things while under hypnosis, but super rare. I have seen people um, take needles with no pain. I've seen people become stiff as a board. I've seen people do things that they normally wouldn't do in while they were conscious, and they do them, but it's not common. And um, it requires a skill of hypnosis, which most hypnotists do not have. It's rare. It's really, really rare. Right. Um, but most people don't have that ability. Most people don't have that right. ability to hold someone's attention and then make them imagine what they want them to imagine. Um, but these same techniques are used by movie makers, writers, anybody who wants you to believe, think anything like our toothpaste is better than X, Y, Z. Right. These techniques are out there. They're everywhere. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great perspective for sure. Um, last thing I want to talk about too before we go into some Q and A because we have some deep questions that we're going to address. <laughs> um, but I know, and I've also heard this too, speaking with my client, because um, I was like, "Oh, like tell me more about this hypno porn." Um, he was mentioning sometimes, like especially now, some hypno porn is actually really hard to find because it's banned on a lot of platforms, and this fetish is being banned. Do you have something to say about that or what are your thoughts on that? One, yes, it is happening. Two, it shouldn't be happening. Um, Three, it's happening because people are afraid of something that they don't understand. And um, there's this weird idea like we can't allow this fantasy but we can allow other fantasies like shooting people or right. verbal abuse. There's, there is, there is a very unevenly and oftentimes inconsistently applied reasoning to what is or is not okay. Right. And um, that makes practically it's not right or wrong it just makes things difficult for us Mm -hmm. it it just makes things difficult for us 
the fact is that most hypnosis is fantasy, um, that most people's fears and concerns about it are unfounded, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, you don't, most people don't avoid going for a walk because they're afraid they'll get hit by lightning. Like, it can happen, but you just, but it's rare. Like Totally. Yeah. People, people have, I hope people come away with this and even, and people want little sound bites. They want information from captivating, entertaining sources, but they rare, and they want to feel like they know. They want to feel like they understand. That's why Dr. Oz and Oprah and all these talk show hosts seem popular because they have magnetic, charming personalities and they say things and people believe them without assessing them because um, because of the high trustworthiness of someone that they see every day or hear every day. So, so I mean, I'm placing a lot of personal responsibility on people to assess and the people restricting this content on platforms are coming at it from the same level of concern that makes a soap company print on the box, soap is not for eating. Mm-hmm. Like, Right. You see a lot of boxes of soap. It literally has a label, not do not eat. Like, who <laughs> thought eating soap was a good idea? Right. Somebody must have. Somebody must have because that's why they put it on the label. Right. And like, and I don't want us to lose nice things. Yeah. And I don't want us to lose nice things. No, seriously. <laughs> well, we lose that's nice fair. things. That's totally fair. Like, I, I, like, do you feel like the hypnosis in terms of a fetish, do you think that is being then miscategorized with, I guess, quote unquote, more immoral or generally immoral content? And that's why it's being banned? Because like, I think the idea is it's being banned because it's viewed as non-consenting. Um... They say that, but they're not. The, the fact is, they don't like it, and they are saying things to justify their dislike without actually learning about what's going on. So the fact is that people don't like it, and they pretend like they know, right. and to justify banning it. That's what's happening. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we, we assess this um, from an objective reality-based standpoint and we came to this conclusion. No, it's the reverse. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't fit their opinions to the facts. They try to fit the facts to their opinions. Yeah, it's not like – it doesn't fit their narrative. Because like, I'm just like, well, what's the difference between like hypnoporn and say like – because everything's based in fantasy. Like, well, what's the difference between that and say like a rape fantasy? Like, is there a big difference? Because they're both fantasies on the quote-unquote basis that it's non-consenting. Well, it's it's so ironic that the people who are telling us um, we can't do this because it sets a bad example, like, we who are very aware of our boundaries, very aware of the difference between what's real and what's not, if we were given control to say, like we'd have disclaimers, we'd have setups, we'd have interviews like before after we would we 
with the resources and the communication we have involved, because we're so invested in it, because it makes us a lot of money, we would be like so on top of this shit. We would weed out bad actors fast and we would we would get shit done so fast it would make their fucking heads spin <laughs> and they're saying like we know what the fuck we know what the fuck we're doing yeah yeah like let, let the people who know what they're doing just do our fucking jobs. make the rules <laughs> yeah and of course we're, we're never addressed in any kind of rule or policy making but that's been addressed at <laughs> ad nauseum in many of my episodes. So y'all got to listen to those past episodes. But um, Brian, I do want to get into some questions here from the audience because I know we pre-screened the questions, but they're kind of larger, (laughs) larger than that. So let's go into this. So first question here is, I'm curious to know how sex workers use it, aka hypnosis, on their clients and what's the morality surrounding its use. Do you need to be available to the okay. client? Okay, let's start, with, let's start with that. Let's start with that. <laughs> let's start. How do they use it with clients? One, um, they use it for entertainment purposes, either um, as part of foreplay or as part of role play or, or yeah, foreplay or role play. And it can branch out very differently from there, depending on the individual scenario. And in some cases, there are intimacy adjacent issues like self-esteem and sexual performance and self-image and those more therapeutic aspects as part of um, a more nuanced intimacy relationship do develop. And it's usually the client requesting. It's not, I mean, the, the professional might say they can do it, but it usually the client requests it. And they'll usually ask lots of questions and then they'll say, okay, let's try it. Uh, Morality. Um, There's no morality issue here. Morality is just a, is a buzzword. Like, do you like it or not like it? Like that's, that's like, do you like it or not like it? It's um, the fact is that if adults are, if adults are consenting adults are entering into this and they want to try it, they should be allowed to. So if you want it to be more moral, you give people more information, you give them more space to try it safely, you give people more chance to communicate. It's not whether it's moral or immoral. It's like, do you want to give the actors participating more morality and more chance of agency to make it better? Right. Like That's what it boils down to. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, it's not about whether it's good or bad is, are you willing to do what it takes to make it more good? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's a great, yeah, we need to break that down first. So thank you for doing that. Um, the second part of the question there is, do you need to be available to the client for aftercare? Let's see. Uh, I would generally say yes, but let's define aftercare. Mm-hmm. Is it five to 10 minutes after the session is over and they seem okay? Is it a phone call afterwards? Um, It really depends on the individual. Um, So sometimes I make a recording and they'll play it and they'll listen to it and I'll ask, how are they doing? Or like most of like the aftercare kind of implies that you went on a really intense emotional roller coaster 
And most of the time, it's not that way. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it was a fun romp. It was a ride through an amusement park. They tried it. They liked it. They might want to try it again. But like aftercare kind of implies that it was a much more intense experience than it usually is. And right. if, okay. if the experience does become intense, then aftercare is a normal part of ethical slut protocol. Yes. yes. Whatever the scene you're doing. Yeah. I think it's, I'm so glad that this person brought that up and I'm so glad you're also addressing that too, because it's really, really important because I've just heard so many times where aftercare is absent and I don't think that is uh, responsible at all, depending on the session. Uh, do you have any episodes on what aftercare looks like? I haven't done one since I think season two, but I, it wasn't dedicated fully to that, but it was with an episode in terms of, uh, I think it was a dominatrix. I had a couple episodes with dominatrixes and we were talking about aftercare and what their processes were, but this is an idea. I should probably do an episode dedicated to aftercare at some point. So, I mean, like back to the earlier conversation about the eight sessions over four days. Mm -hmm. Um, my, I mean, we were both really disappointed with the outcome initially. And I checked in with him a couple of days later and he told me it wasn't what I wanted, but I'm glad I had the experience because I didn't realize I had all those complicated feelings and thoughts I had to deal with first before doing what I say I wanted to do. So in other instances, let's see. I mean, people will, if people like it, they will text and call. If they don't like it, they won't call back or they'll say it's not for me. Um, yeah. It's, uh, they, um, yep, I very humbly sometimes had to accept my, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm not making any more money after that. <laughs> so, I think that happens to a lot of us too. So sometimes yeah, it's not the right fit. So, and that's yep. just life. And it's like you, <laughs> you grin and bear it and you just like trudge onward. Yep. But, the, but, <laughs> um, but again, back to practicality checking in, being humble, not getting mad at them when they slight you or disregard you or like think less of you after meeting you. It's like, oh, that's all part of business. That's all part of like um, being a professional, swallowing the shit that comes when you don't perform as well as you like. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, this person still had another third part of that question, too. So do you agree on a certain amount of sessions or is one enough? Um, so the, the requests I get vary. I have one person who comes to me once a month for a combination intimacy and reinforcement of alcohol consumption control. I have some people who have recordings. I do a session with them once and they buy the recording and then they listen to it whenever they like. Um, sometimes they'll come in two, three times. So, I mean, that, that's been my experience. Yeah. So just, it's all over the board. It just depends on, I think for this person asking, I think you will probably just need to determine what the client's looking for. And it's, the client, it's kind will, of the client will usually tell me what they want. Yeah. They'll usually tell me what they want after the first session. There we go. There we go. 
All right. So this is coming from not a sex worker, but how can a client under hypnosis ensure they are not taken advantage of? So I know we kind of briefly touched on this earlier, but maybe if you want to add a little bit to that. So, so let's look at the idea of what taken advantage of looks like, because in my experience, a client will feel taken advantage of after they have consented to do something and they feel disappointed or they understand that the circumstances do not meet their expectations. So oftentimes they will claim they were taken advantage of when they misunderstood the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could either be because they genuinely misunderstood the situation because there was a communication problem, either innocent or deliberate. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my case, I'm trying to think back where I had that. Um, taken advantage of i mean after listening to this some people might feel like did you manipulate me to give you more money and i would say <laughs> yes and that and i would say did it bother you at the time no does it bother you now yes because you were conscious of it why why were you so happy and you're so mad now that i i i all i said was i weighed 350 pounds but you knew that would make me do something no, I didn't, but I did know it would increase the chances of it. Now, did I influence your decision? Yes. Did I take away your free will? No. The problem with that is that even though objectively I am telling the truth and accepting responsibility for my conscious decision, um, they will feel negatively toward me, which may affect my income later. They don't. Nobody likes to feel like a fool. They don't like to feel like they've that they've been tricked. Um, Even though people do it all the time, like all the time, like the the person who speaks to you exactly as they mean either annoys the shit out of you or (laughs) bores you. Like we do not, we as people do not value true honesty. We want razzle dazzle. We want complications and frills and colors to language. Like people who like speak directly, we don't, we say we want it, but we don't actually want it. So, and a lot of people get really mad when I say that. It's like, of course we want our seat. Really? Really? You want me to tell you when you say, do I look fat in this? You really want me to answer like directly? (laughs) (laughs) They'll they'll scowl in the corner and won't say anything. And they'll be stuck between a rock and a hard place seething. But the problem with that is that they still feel negative toward you. So it still affects your fucking bank account. So (laughs) like, even though you know, this is true and they know this is true. Like suddenly their interpretation has changed. So Mm -hmm. what is, I mean, we have bills to pay. They do things. We act nice. We smile. We do what we have to, to get our shit done and get our bills paid. And if they understand all these fundamental underlying things that are happening in their day-to-day lives, in day-to-day conversations, um, it's like telling somebody for the first time Santa Claus isn't real. It like doesn't change it, but they hate you for it. Right. <laughs> so, so if I'm honest, which I'm told I'm supposed to be, it affects my bank account and I can't pay my bills. So doing the right thing doing the right thing doesn't matter, doesn't materially matter in this case, 
but it doesn't change the fact that they had a nice time. They feel good about themselves. We got paid. They and and they move on with their lives, and they're not they're not bothered by it at all. But um, the people asking this like morality advantage question, I mean, obviously, I mean, if I steal something from you, that might be a problem. Yeah. If I if you if you if I persuade you to give it to me, I mean. There's so, like, the people who ask this come under the presumption, like, they usually come under the presumption that there is only one right answer and that it is absolute. And people want that to be true. And the reality is that often it's not. And even myself, like, if somebody fools me and manipulates me, it's like, I don't feel that great toward them. I so... From experience, I know that it doesn't feel good, even though logically I kind of fell into it. Like buying those super expensive salts from those really nice ladies on the street who <laughs> you to come in and you want to do it because you don't want to make them sad. But they did it anyway. They did it anyway. So I, tr- I try to keep it to a minimum. And I encourage, and I encourage people. I, I mean, let people know that I keep it to a minimum. And I encourage people to understand, like, this is how things are actually working. Put aside your feelings mm-hmm. about what you think people should be or shouldn't be. Just look at how people are. Yeah. Look at how people actually act, actually respond in actual situations. I want people, I mean, it's, and it's not, and um, it's not going to be an easy thing for people to accept that morality like the person who asks if it's moral has to be willing to accept responsibility that they themselves may be um, not moral in asking the question. Mm. Like imagine that you asking what's moral or not suddenly makes you immoral. That's what an ins- what an insane idea! Like yeah, um, flipping it. <laughs> um, but besides, I mean, most of this is going to sound like existential philosophy which all of our life actually is and people don't want to think about these insane complications to our existence they just want the easy answers <laughs> they want the bubble gum wrapper right <laughs> but that was bubble gum for everyone <laughs> but you have some great metaphors there i think like if i were to pitch into that i just think it goes back to expectations and if those expectations were communicated effectively or properly, then hopefully you would have you both would have a great time. So I think that to me is what it boils down to. But Brian, there is one more question that came in as well uh, from your audience. So the question was, have you ever used drugs or other substances to assist in the process of getting into an altered state? Yep. Okay, let's go into it. Okay, are you still with me? Because your screen seems to be freezing. Oh, I am here. Yes. Are you here? Can you hear me? Okay, good. So the use of recreational substances in altered state of mind. So um, uh, mushrooms and marijuana in very mild doses I have found to be very helpful. Um, mushrooms and marijuana. Um, I know some people experiment with ayahuasca, MDMA, UFO, other things. Those are beyond 
my skill to speak on. I know there are some medicine workers who do that, and that's fine. And I, um, and I, the limited exposure I've had is that um, less is more. Just less is more, um, because ultimately you just want to do a little tweak. Did you ever see the movie Inception? Did you see the yes. movie Inception? I love that okay. movie. So it very well can you described. Hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, so the protagonist goes into his wife's mind and changes one idea and it changes her entire life. You want to make you. So with hypnosis to be effective, you want to find the smallest, most um, influential idea a person has about what they want to target and you want to flip the switch. Just one idea can cause an insane cascade effect. Um, we could talk about how in hypnosis, um, like, especially for drugs, like, like using drugs just to just nudge someone because people are either dealing with trauma um, or cycles and they're just stuck. And they just need a little push just to break out of the pattern. Now, some people say, eh, don't use drugs. But literally, that's what the psychiatrist industry is. It is literally, they're literally using drugs to do what pot and, mar and mushrooms are also trying to do. Mm. So just a little push just to break them out of the cycle. I've been in depression cycles and I've had um, like a hit of, uh, of Xanax and it helped. It helped, but just a little. Um, it's still, so it will, it's a tool to help, but, um, I would encourage people to understand it, um, so that this tool doesn't become a crutch. So uh, the tool can become a crutch. I personally think a little is okay to help move things along and to, um, always stick with the fundamentals, which is you have to think about your own story and whatever story you're trying to adjust and you have to try to redo the story that the drugs won't help you do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So little bits at a time is your advice. Not a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Well, those are all the questions that came in here. But Brian, before I let you go, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Knight 66. That's B R Y A N K N I G H T, the number 66, or on Instagram uh, by the same handle. My website for the comic books is velvetcollarcomics.com, all one word. Um, you can also look up my videos on a number of search engines, and I have my website, brian knight.com, which still needs to be updated. Um, I encourage people to send me their. <laughs> Uh, private questions. If they're interested in sessions, I do one, multiple sessions, and um, I'm available by phone, Signal, WhatsApp. Um, what else? I accept men, women, um, trans, non-binary. Uh, what else? I travel around, so I travel for requests, either short-term or long-term. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, that's it. 
all the all the things, all the places, all the links. I will be plugging that into the show notes below if you haven't already clicked on there. Be sure you go and check out all Brian's handles. Give him a follow. And uh, for everyone else listening here, it's new episodes every single Sunday. It's Strip by Sia on Instagram, Strip by Sia on Twitter, soon to be launching stripbysia.com. Finally, <laughs> I have a official website i've been working so hard on and yeah don't forget to like rate um share review on apple rate five stars on spotify and share the show this is how people get to know um more about sex work more about the show more about just people like me and you that are out there and subscribe on patreon which is patreon.com slash strip by sia and new episodes coming out every single Sunday. So we'll catch everyone in next week. Thank you so much, Brian. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Music by Ted D. Graphic design by Maria Bellandarama and photography by Ian Davern.